This is Colors. I'm J.J. Green. This is a special commentary about Tyree Nichols. All week, we heard about the beating of Tyree Nichols by Memphis police. He later died. The video is out by now, but when I recorded this, it wasn't out. So what you're hearing is not a reaction to the video and the horror that we were warned we'd see, the inhumanity that we were warned we'd see. What I'm here to do is express my profound disappointment and sadness that we're in this moment. And before I say anything else, I want to express my deepest and most sincere sympathies to his family. He did not deserve to be killed. No one does. But least of all, an unarmed individual that gets pulled over by police for a traffic stop. For decades, we've seen this happen to black men all across this country. And I'm not going to get into the history of how many black motorists have died at the hands of police officers and what the races of, or ethnicities of these officers is or was. I'm not going to get into all of that. I just, I just don't know it. I don't know the history. What I do know is that the officers that have been fired and that have now been charged with murder were all black themselves. The fact that Tyree Nichols died in their custody after an alleged beating from them makes me sad for two reasons. One, did they not understand the limitations of force for them as police officers? Were they not thinking about this? We're not talking about fighting for their lives against someone with serious weapons aimed at them. He was an unarmed individual. And the key thing here is that he was one individual weighing 145 pounds. There were five of them, according to their arrest records. Each of them weighed 200 pounds, according to those records. Several of them were college football players, formerly. Did they not see what they were doing as this thing developed? And two, they were all black. We've been screaming about racism and police brutality from white or non-black police officers for decades. Did they not know that this was going to inflict a potentially, potentially fatal blow against the struggle for social justice for black people, because there are people, I'm sure of that, there are people who have been waiting for this day to come, where you have a black man beaten to death essentially in three minutes by other black men who were officers of the law. This saddens me because this, pure and simple, is just hate, not racism or any other ism. It's just pure hatred. And the reason why it's really sad to me is because I see this kind of hate every single day directed at me, directed at other people, by people that we know, people that are members of our neighborhoods, people that we work with, people in our social groups, places of worship, schools, people who are not theoretically supposed to be haters. But this is pull the cover off what's really happening in America. And I suppose maybe there is a silver lining to this, if you could call it that. Because this development 
shows the depth of hatred we have in this country towards each other, that we would rather kill each other or beat each other to death than to work out some simple misunderstanding. And I'm going to say this, and I'm done. We better wake up, America, because we can't sustain this kind of hatred for each other. Now on to the show. Previously on Colors. Which states in America have made the most racial progress? Wallet Hub took a look at that with some extensive research, and this is what they found. So you could argue that the states that have made the most progress had the, the furthest to go. You know, they started out with not a lot in terms of benefits and laws benefiting black people. Wallet Hub analyst Jill Gonzalez breaks it down for us. But then, Dr. Sylvia Hollis, assistant professor of African history and African-American history at Montgomery College, says this. It, it was a bit confusing. Because? At, at the core, um, I think that there's, there's, there's things that can um, infinitely fall between the cracks when it comes to Excel spreadsheets or whatever kind of data spreadsheets you want to use. A full explanation. Coming up in this episode of Colors... Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders has signed an executive order declaring the word Latinx must be eliminated from official documents. The response? I mean, why to ban um, a term that even though not everybody uses, not everybody wants to use, not everybody feel it identify with a term, some people do. Why you limit the freedom? of an important part of, of a community. Dr. Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, a scholar on many topics related to the Latinx community, joins us for a robust conversation. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. identify black white latinx aapi native american first peoples lgbtq plus what do you think if somebody said no 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 that title is not legitimate and it is absolutely forbidden that our government refers to it in any official documents that's essentially what some are saying happened in arkansas when the governor there, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, signed an executive order saying the word Latinx cannot be used. Well, Guadalupe Correa Cabrera. She's a professor at the Shaw School of Policy and Government at George Mason University and an author. Joins us with her thoughts about this. It's a pleasure to be here in college, JJ. Thank you for the invitation. 
Thank you for showing and uh, being willing to do this. Um, something very interesting took place um, a little bit ago, maybe a week or two. The governor of Arkansas decided, uh, Sarah Sanders, um, decided that um, the term Latinx should be banned. And I was stunned when I saw it. I'm sure a lot of other people were too. What was your reaction when she did that? Well, I mean, why to ban um, a term that even though not everybody uses, not everybody want to use, not everybody feel it identify with a term, some people do. Why you limit the freedom of an important part of, of a community? It's it, that's that was my first impression. Why you should ban? Why you utilize, utilize the word ban? I mean, you cannot generalize or or or, or force that the term upon people, but you can not ban it either because some people do identify with the term. So some people would like to use it and use it. Not everybody does, but that is a limitation upon. Um, the freedom of an important segment of the population. I mean, communities that identify um, with a Latinx term or concept. One of the very interesting things about this, Mother Lupi, and I agree with you 100%. What's the point of banning something that really you can't? I mean, she issued an executive order. And this is the thing that I find very interesting. She issued an executive order saying that this term is banned. So what are you going to do if somebody uses the term Latinx? You're going to put them in jail? You're going to dock their pay? I mean, what are you going to do? How? I mean, how do you enforce something like this? There's no way to enforce it because, you know, the way, I mean, it's a, it, I mean, it's an action to ban the utilization of the term without uh, specifying um, the ways to limit the utilization or ban the utilization of the term. It seems to be a political move. It seems to be an electoral move. It doesn't seem to be genuine in so many ways. It's not uh, feasible to do what, you know, even though um, there wasn't a specification of the actions that were going to be taken if you utilize the term, even though you can use it at your home, talking to your friends. Um, and what are you going to do? You know, the police is going to try to uh, spy upon you and your conversations. And if you utilize it in a phone, a seller conversation, you're going to be, you know, a fine or or taken to prison, or I don't know, you're going to do some um, social work. I mean, I don't, uh, community work. Uh, sorry, it's 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 totally a move um, to, to have a position that that's would be considered conservative um, in order for her to appeal to a base of support that has some ideas without, um, you know, understanding the implications of that. That has to do with your freedoms because it's an important thing. You know, that came to my mind and I started with the word freedom, with the concept of freedom. Yeah. Because the way that I identify myself and the way that I would like to talk about myself should not be banned. Yeah. But at the same time, in in, in pragmatic way, in a pragmatic way, it's it's useless. It's, it's just ridiculous yeah. even. Why? I mean, I'm sorry to use that word, but 
you know, you, you're completely right. What is the government going to do? How she's going to enforce this, this ban? Yeah. And, and the thing that I really want to ask you about is this was the very first act that Sarah Huckabee Sanders undertook after becoming governor. I mean, there are a lot of things going on in Arkansas right now and a lot of things that need attention in Arkansas, immediate attention. But this was the very first thing that she did. What does that tell you? That tells me that Sarah Huckabee Sanders' um, priorities are probably not well thought. What are you going to prioritize? And in, in uh, what are going to be your priorities at a moment where there are a lot of you know people that are suffering from from a, a pandemic period that affected their economy, inflation that it's affecting a number of people that cannot deal with the increase in terms of prices. We have uh, communities that are more prone to become drug addicts because of the all, of all the problems. Have so many problems. The state of Arkansas um, has so many problems that would go beyond any type of cultural war or identity, um, you know, difference, right? And and you're going to put your resources, your time on banning or limiting freedoms, but not only that, limiting how. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a waste of resources yeah. to do that when you have other needs, other priorities, and necessity to continue building infrastructure. This country is going back. I mean, it needs infrastructure needs support um you know to help in a pro in a during a process that we have been suffering the pandemic is still with us in so many ways and the economic effects of the pandemic are still with us yeah you know we in this country it seems as though after george floyd's death we got the message that this is a time that we should be focusing on addition, adding, you know, adding rights, adding liberties, adding opportunities. But this, banning this term, that's subtraction. Um, they're, they're, they're in some places in, in schools, there's this question about, you know, teaching what's called critical race theory, taking that away. That's subtraction. Then they're in other places in Florida. And I think there was the governor in Florida um, or the legislature in Florida passed this measure that burn, bans the term gay or, or something like that in certain scenarios. That again, subtraction. So what's with all the subtraction here, Guadalupe? Absolutely. This country needs unity. And it's not only subtraction. Yes, you kind of like you want to add and you want to create an environment of support of, you know, to to make America great, um, to achieve a greater development, wealth, and, you know, to continue putting the United States um, in the place that it has been in the previous decades, right? Uh, to continue being an important or the biggest economy in the world. Uh, we need unity. People need to unify around 
the differences and values that cannot be imposed upon others. You know, it's a diverse country. It's a country with people of different ideas, different priorities, but they should be, you know, taken together or unified, um, you know, by some goals or ideals. Peace, democracy, freedom, that adds. And we can add diversity. We can add different ideas, different identities, just adding. But why banning? Why imposing your own views to a group of people that believes in a different way? Why not accepting? You know, and that is going to take the United States to a greater place in history because now the United States has lost, um, you know, has lost some space on the world power structures. We know about that. Yeah. Um, and these things, I mean, these priorities, banning a word, um, you know, way to call your identity by some people, as I say, not everybody identifies with the term, but some people do. And why banning? Why wasting resources in that? Why not unify us around, you know, common goals? Yeah. That nobody will deny, right? Democracy, freedom, understanding, peace, stability. We all want that. We all want wealth, development. Who would say, I don't want that? Let's focus on that. Let's yeah. create wealth, equality. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, um, yeah we're, we're talking with um, Guadalupe Correa Cabrera. She's a professor at the Char School of Policy and Government at George Mason University in Virginia. And I want to know, and I'll give you a moment to think about this, but I want to know how you're going to teach this moment, teach about this moment, uh, talk about this moment uh, to your students and, and those that you will engage with on this, because I'm sure it's going to come up. Um, but um, I'm going to ask that in just a second. I'll come back to that and um, Please just give me the opportunity to ask that question, but I want to ask you one thing other first. Who are the Latinx community? The Latinx community, it's a very diverse community of people that does not conform or probably does in a certain aspects, but, you know, believe and accept the differences and would like to acknowledge their difference and would like others to acknowledge their difference um, from traditional values, maybe, or traditional identities. And, you know, it's not, it, it, it's difficult to describe what is or how does the Latinx community looks like, because it, it's about how do you feel you are and how you see others, how they are, but accepting. It's, it's a diverse community with people of different, um, you know, uh, different ideas, um, you know, and it's rich, it's diverse. Um, and, you know, with a with an expectation that they will be accepted and treated like, you know, in the traditional ways, like human beings. You know, it's difficult to describe what is the Latinx community. I mean, the LGBT community, that it's just so diverse too. The trans community, you know, um, you know, if you want to conform with the traditional patterns, you can do it. You know, you're talking about Latinos, people that could be born here or to second, third generation that have some blood in, 
maybe Mexico or, or some relatives in Mexico or, or Colombia or Bolivia. And these countries are very diverse. You know, they have very different cultures, histories. They share certain um, certain goals, certain, um, you know, characteristics in history, certain, you know, um, you know, certain cultural understanding, religion, but but everybody adapts each other in different ways, right? Not everybody was born in the same family, different social classes, different identities. Many of them have, I mean, you know, relatives in Mexico, in other Latin countries, uh, countries yeah. from Latin American countries. People, some people don't want to even consider themselves um, Mexicans or they prefer to utilize the word Latino or Chicano. But many of them, uh, believe that they're part of the Latinx community. And some of them that have the same characteristics don't even want to use that term. So, yeah, it's again, back to what we were talking about in the very beginning. It's just a very confusing, maybe not so confusing, but uh, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, because people <laughs> clearly telling people you can't use, you can't do something, um, unless, of course, it'll get you thrown in jail or, you know, a, a hefty fine or something like that. Typically, it usually inspires people to go ahead and do it anyway. And this seems to be one of those cases where people hearing about this, people knowing about this are going to say and have already said, oh, yeah, you." so it, I can't use this or I can't say this. So I'm going to say and use it. But um, how do you um, how do you teach about this moment? What do you say to your students about this moment? To be themselves, um, to accept others the way that they see themselves, to respect them, to embrace them. There's no way to teach how you have to be or how you have to behave. It's just, you know, how I'm going to teach my students, I'm going to teach them to accept, to understand, to embrace other values. Um, I mean, you know, and to relate to others in a way that will be adding, not subtracting. You know, if you go for the same goals that are good for everyone, you can accept and you should accept everybody else the way that they identify themselves. You know, how I'm going to teach this moment, you know, we want a better world. We want to, um, I mean, you know, more wealth, more development, peace freedom, these values that we are all agreeing upon. And, you know, uh, you don't you don't waste resources or time trying to ban others to think the way that they think. It's not, it's not, I, I don't want to teach them the negative, the negative side, side of things. I want to teach them on the positive yeah. side of things. Yeah. Um, so moving on to a couple of other things before our time expires today. Um, the president visited Mexico recently. Um, how did that visit go? That visit, uh, well, uh, in diplomatic terms, at least the coverage, it seemed it went very well. It seemed that the three the the the, the three uh, leaders of the three nations, the three amigos, 
um, where, you know, in the same line, recognize that even though they have their differences, socioeconomically speaking, or difference in terms of priorities, they recognize that there are certain goals that the three countries are, are pursuing, these three goals that they are going to be working together to achieve them. Maybe like Mexico will have greater problems in certain areas or the United States and Canada in other areas, but it went really well. Of course, these meetings usually went well, go well, and particularly uh, among the leaders of North America and the implementation part and what happens day by day is, is more difficult to, um, I mean, to assess as positive. Uh, I mean, there are so many challenges today, but it seems that at least there are, you know, some goals that the three countries share and ways to deal with the goals, they also share those goals. They were all happy. They were with their wives. They they seem to move in, in a direction that's common, you know, following common goals and agreeing in general in ways to achieve those goals. And uh, the last thing I'll ask you before we go, um, I can't... Um talk to you and end the program without asking you about this, because this is something we've discussed several times, and that's the situation on the U.S. border with Mexico. What do you see right now? Um, is it, Are you seeing progress? Are you seeing problems? Where does the situation stand, just briefly? It's a difficult question that will probably take us, you know, several hours to disentangle and to to comment. I, I do see a number of challenges there. People coming from very different parts of the world. It's a difficult economic time. There are conflicts that might multiply. I'm thinking about the war in Ukraine. People from Russia and Ukraine have appeared at the border, adding to the the, the problems that we have been experiencing, uh, you know, in previous years, the challenges with regards to poor communities in the Northern Triangle, people coming from very different countries, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, um, Peru, Bolivia, more and more people coming, not just from this hemisphere, but from different parts of the world, from the African, different countries of the African continent, Southeast Asia, um, because the migrant smuggling network networks are becoming very, very sophisticated. And, you know, it's difficult to deal with this uh, without collaboration um, among all the countries that are involved. They're, the challenges are big and are getting bigger because, as I said, we have gone through a very difficult process. The pandemic still with us in the sense that it's controlled to some extent in the, in the I mean, health-wise, but, uh, uh, but it's, it's, I mean, economically speaking, it left a number of challenges there and people are coming people want to come there are no legal not enough legal pathways to make it to the united states and the comprehensive immigration reform is not close to be a past or you know the the two the two parties are not agreeing upon this and this is continuing to be a problem um the ways and the policies have been focused on the border and not on solving the root causes there is a recognition that the root causes of irregular undocumented immigration need to be solved but not enough is being done and the problem this is cyclical and you know politics electoral politics are on the way and an, an obstructional limitation to uh, advance in a more appropriate um, solution to this very big challenge. As you said, this is a very complex scenario and uh, it will take more than just a few minutes to discuss and fully understand this. 
And that's something I commit to. We'll be back to this if you're ready and able to do this in the future. Professor Guadalupe Correa Cabrera, she's a professor, as I mentioned, at the Shaw School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. And Professor, thank you again. Thank you, JJ, for the opportunity. And thank you to your audience for being with us uh, today. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Kevin Stanfield, um, a black man born and raised in Washington, D.C. I think that the fact that I grew up in a predominantly black environment helped to give me a, a firm foundation that enabled me to deal with the world the way it is. And um, all I want out of society is I want people to hear what I'm saying as loudly as they see the color of my skin. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at the colorspodcast.com Coming up in our next episode of Colors A brand new book from Dr. Derek Darby a professor at Rutgers University And so I started working on this book and I gave it the title A Realistic Blacktopia Not so much because the book is about utopia per se. However you think about the utopian vision, the question I want to tackle in this book is, how do we get there from where we are now? That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, you've heard quite a bit from me today, so I don't have anything else to say other than what I said at the top regarding Tyree Nichols and that situation and us in America. All else I want to say is thank you for being here. Thanks for those that help out with this show. And just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.